Okay, thank you. I'm going to give the panelists a chance to respond in, to, in whatever order to whichever question strikes you. <laughs> go ahead. Um, uh, let me say, I'll address two of the issues. Um, I don't want to get into everyone. The first the issue of political mobility, I, I just want to say a little bit about that. Um, I think there has been significant mobilizing, and actually in the United States there has been remarkable um, mobilization since the, um, since the election and in the aftermath, and I think, I don't know, can I see a show of hands? How many people were at the Women's March? Marches in all different places? Um, so, you know, just to say, um, the Women's March was an example of kind of a responsive, immediate political responsiveness and not from the usual suspects. And then on the question of your privilege and how does that connect, actually the first two people who had the idea were then sort of checked by folks from black communities and Arab communities and other communities who said, listen, you know, um, this has to be more. This has to be more inclusive. It has to be um, something that is broader than that. And I would say that there was a way in which there was um, a very powerful kind of coming together and also a powerful coming together of the way that we just heard um, in Colombia that connected issues of economic justice and issues of Black Lives Matter and issues of um, policing, etc. What I don't think we saw as much and what I think this movement is still struggling with, and in part it's because America has traditionally, even civil society in America has seen itself as so exceptional that it doesn't actually think about the rest of the world. So actually, women in the rest of the world organized in solidarity with women here, but there was very little attempt to kind of reach out and, and, and really build something from that. And that's something that now they are working on. I would say that this is a moment where I would wish things to be reversed. You know, all the sort of quote-unquote development aid and help and support and for the poor, starving women. Believe me, the women in Afghanistan, they know how to organize. They'll kick your socks off. <laughs> the women in Senegal and Burkina Faso and in Kenya and in India and in Malaysia, they know about what it's like to live under tyrants. They know how to mobilize in oppressive situations. So I would really urge one way of thinking about political mobilization is to make this a global movement and to learn from other civil society and to bring that civil society to the United States, not to have these empty chairs. This is a very conscious strategy by this government. If you can keep people out under any different pretext, then you will stop this kind of exchange and learning. Because yes, we can do it on Skype, and yes, we can talk on um, all kinds of internet, but person-to-person -person contact is very important, which is why an organization like AVID hosts an in-person connective um, discourse every two years, and feminists from all over the world come together, and if they can't hold it in the United States, then they hold it in other parts of the world, so that there is that kind of mobilization. Um, the, so I would say I feel very positive about the level of mobilization, but there is huge amount of pushback. And there will be violence. And I think that is something we just have to prepare ourselves for. Physical violence there will be, which is profoundly frightening. And at the same time, it's something, again, as we've talked about, women have experienced for a long time. So they, can, they know how to resist, and they know how to fight back. 
and we could be doing more to work together. One thing women in this country could be doing is stop their country from selling arms all over the world. The United States is one of the largest, um, is one of the largest manufacturers of and sellers of weapons. India in the last five years has become the largest purchaser of weapons in the world. So let's not marginalize our struggles into reproductive rights or peace movements or labor movements. Let's think about that intersectionality. Um, I'm going to respond to the question of reproductive rights. I've just come back from two, for 10 days in Burkina Faso and Senegal with Planned Parenthood Global. I don't disagree with you at all about the issue of importance. And the reason I don't is not because it is only related to women's um, freedom to do other things, quote unquote, have a job, be in the political space, but because it goes to, I think, the most primal fear around women's emancipation. Our sexual power is feared. People are terrified of the fact that we may actually have the kind of voracious sexual appetites that men do. <laughs> oh my goodness, what would the world come to if we were allowed to actually give in to these desires that we might have? And there is a fear because we actually, even to this day, with all the modern scientific progress, we control reproduction. There is no oven you can put a baby into and cook it. Only we bring life onto this earth. And that is a terrifying feeling. Honestly, it's a terrifying feeling because we are still dependent on that for the reproduction of the species. So I think the issue about control over our bodies, and it is really not a question of reproduction. It is a question of bodily integrity. Our control over our bodies and our sexuality is something that is very core to this struggle. And I think that as long as we can make it not about population, because the problem is, is that the West has conveniently taken this and then brought it to the rest of the world and said, well, you know, you poor women, you should have less children. That's not the point. That is not the point. The point is our control over our own bodies. And why we decide to have children or not is related to a whole set of other issues, including the one that we just heard about, which is economic, the basics of economic production. When you were feudal people in Europe, you were also having five and six and seven children because you needed them to work the land. That's the reality in Burkina Faso. That's the reality in much of India. So don't come giving us a lecture about how we need to do population control, because that's not going to work. <laughs>